Welcome to episode 17 of Rank and Review. Wink, wink. In this episode, my friend G and I are going to look at six movies that know that their audience have seen a lot of horror movies. Self-aware horror comedy. Uh, as usual, I should warn everyone in advance that there will be spoilers and there will be some coarse language. I am your host and random Canadian Larry Parsons, and thank you so much for listening to Rank and Review. So, um, episode 17 of Rank and Review. I'm in my friend uh, G's basement, and uh, this has been a long time coming, this episode. Uh, it's The theme is Wink Wink. Uh, it's it's kind of horror comedy redux, but I think most of these movies are aware of you know horror movies and uh, aware that people who are watching them have probably watched a lot of horror movies and use that to an advantage in one way or the other. I also wanted to pick a bunch of movies that were not too vicious of horror movies or too <laughs> too bloody or too uh, <laughs> hardcore as they would say because I know that uh, G's not a huge horror movie fan as a rule. Yeah. So, um, I think there's some genuinely scary stuff in this, these bunch of movies, Absolutely, but, yeah. uh, for the most part, I think, yeah, <clears throat> uh, there is comedy th- tinged throughout it. Uh, so Gareth, G, yeah. G, Gareth, G, 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 Gareth. G is fine. G yeah. is good. Thanks. Uh, thank you so much for doing my show and thank you for putting up with six movies. Oh, it was, uh, it, it turned out to be a super, it was a pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. There wasn't anything that stood out as particularly awful. <laughs> it wasn't a chore necessarily. No, no. I'm. I. I have to say, I'm going to end up liking these six movies, and <laughs> uh, so much so that I did watch all of them twice, and some of them more than that. So. Wow. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> You're not necessarily a convert. Do I win something for that? Well, I don't know. We'll see. We haven't ranked them yet. Okay. But. Uh, uh, so yeah. Let's just uh, list off the movies that we're going to talk about today. Let's do that. Um, I have, from the middle of the 80s, Night of the Creeps, written and directed by Fred Decker, who would go on to direct The Monster Squad, <laughs> RoboCop 3, and that is all. Uh, <laughs> we have uh, Beetlejuice, which was written and directed, or at least directed by Tim Burton. Uh, yes. And, uh, Michael Tim- McDowell was the writer. Thank you. No problem. <laughs> See, G's on point. 
Uh, and, uh, of course, Tim Burton went on to direct many, many, many movies, mm-hmm. um, and maybe more than he should have. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have the uh, sort of 90s defining uh, Wes Craven-directed Scream. Yes, yes. Uh, we have Tucker and Dale versus Evil, which <laughs> was sure do. shot in Alberta, yep. just a few hours' drive from here. Exactly. Shout out. <laughs> we have the British uh, alien invasion flick Attack the Block, and we have Cabin in the Woods from uh, from Yas Whedon and director Drew Goddard. I can actually hear faint applause right now. Yay! <laughs> I think it's actually a really strong bunch of movies, which makes it actually much harder to rank them, I find, generally. <laughs> I, I agonized over it, so, you know. Yeah, I found it very difficult. I did. They were enjoyable all for different reasons, but, yeah. Yeah, I do think that most of these exploit the fact that, uh, like I said, if you've watched a lot of these movies, there's familiar elements to them, mm-hmm. and they sort of will play to your hand a little bit. They know what you expect to see, so they'll either do that in a creative way, or they know what you expect to see, so they'll do something else. Mm-hmm. Um, as we've discussed, I think maybe the loosest one in this group is perhaps Beetlejuice. I, I would have to say, yeah. But uh, or, or maybe Attack the Block. Attack the Block is fairly straight. Now, there's not a lot of tongue-in-cheekness to it. It's funny, but it's not self-referential necessarily. Not as much as the others, but yeah. uh, it has an awareness of itself, I think. Yeah, and uh, I think it does fit well on this list. Indeed. Um, so is there anything you want to say before we jump in and start ranking and reviewing these guys? Um, no, I don't think so. Oh. I'm just happy to begin. Long-time listener, first-time participant. Yes, yes, yes. G G test drives my uh, my rough cuts of these episodes, poor (laughs) bastards. (laughs) Let's do this. Indeed. The night of the fall is finally here for Chris, Cindy, and JC. It's going to be the best night of their lives. But tonight is also the night of the creeps. From a world unknown comes a nightmare unimagined. First, they are under you, around you, on you, and then inside you. They get in through your mouth, and you walk around while they incubate, even if you're dead. Night of the Creeps. Um... Yeah, uh, actually, when I gave you this list of movies, this was the one movie that I was kind of weary that I thought maybe you might not connect with. Yeah. I saw it at a young age, and I think that that sometimes helps a lot, especially with these really heavily 80s movies. Understandable, yeah. (laughs) And because you're not as into the horror genre, maybe some of the familiar horror tropes would not speak to you the way they did to me, right? Fair enough, yeah. Um... That said, I mean, I have nothing but good things to say about this movie almost uniformly. I mean, it's definitely a movie of its time, but um, I can take it. What did you think of Night of the Creeps? See, I'm perfectly okay with the time that it was made, and I have uh, no problem adjusting to that when I'm watching a movie. So, uh, thankfully, that didn't affect me very much at all. And uh, I was totally surprised by this movie. I didn't know what to expect going in, to be honest. I wasn't sure, like, uh, I, I had some build-up as to the craziness that I was about to experience, but no idea 
that it was going to be executed in the way it was. And I just thought it was so much funnier and uh, faster and uh, ridiculous than I could possibly have expected or anticipated that I do. It was just pure joy the whole time, <laughs> as it turns out. So I was, yeah, no, I was so pleasantly surprised. The thing is that the movie has everything. It does. And, uh, and by everything, like, within the first 20, or not even 20 minutes, say 10 minutes, you've got aliens, mm -hmm. you've got a psycho killer with an axe. That's right. And you've got little sort of leechy space worms that are invading yeah. people's brains. Yeah. yeah. And we're not done yet. <laughs> um, but wait. And, and the way it jumps around, like, uh, we've got sort of relatively well-realized space sci-fi special effects for the 80s, mm -hmm. uh, and then we've got a black and white sequence set in like the fifties, sure. uh, which is you know to period. <laughs> and, and then we jump nice ahead period. thirty years to what was at the time contemporary times for when the movie was made, but what is now another sort of hilarious nostalgic era. Of course, the eighties. Well, yeah, no, it's got like the tight jeans and the high hair, and <laughs> the, it's got everything that yeah. an eighties movie needs. And well, I mean, it's it's based on a college campus. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. So you've got your sorority girls, you've got your nerds and your jocks, and it's awesome. Yeah, it a lot of types, all. a lot of gratuitous boobery. Oh. <laughs> well, which no eighties movie can be without. Like and if it was a college age movie, it absolutely, was, it was requisite for the movie. Absolutely. And, uh, then you know, bring on the zombies and uh, and bring on you know exactly the action sequences. <laughs> <laughs> so the story, I guess, centers on once once we get through the first couple of chapters, setting up you know the aliens that land to Earth and get inside this guy's head, and he is then put into some sort of cryogenic type of stasis state, as as the fifties would interpret, yes. Um, and then our two heroes, a uh, couple of college kids who are desperately trying to get into a, a, a really horrible sorority. <laughs> yeah. Like a really ugly sorority. Like, actually. on its really? face, I don't know why they... I don't understand. I guess Jason Lively's character, our lead, is sort of wanting to impress a girl. Yes. And he thinks that hanging out with a bunch of these douchebags will somehow uh, endear him to her. Well, they are the cool kids. I mean, they're the, the jock assholes, but those were the popular... Uh, characters but as a as a pledge prank they are asked to produce a body and put it on the uh, steps of uh, the house of <clears throat> some competing i haven't heard that one among pledge pranks but yeah, it's that's wow. pretty extreme that's, that's out there so uh yeah no props to anybody who did pull that off <laughs> again this is such a ridiculous thing the fact that they even do it we shouldn't like these guys although no. i think we kind of do <laughs> <laughs> a little bit yeah i mean our two leads, played by Jason Lively and Steve Marshall, they're Chris and JC. Mm -hmm. um, they they are lovable to, rogues. Yeah, <laughs> they by pure fate and happenstance managed to stumble upon the same body that was infected by the alien slugs, mm -hmm. and they don't quite manage to uh, get it out on the campus where they need it to be, but they. Uh, <laughs> They make a mess in a lab, and they flee, yes, <laughs> essentially, is what yes, happens. Yes. <laughs> and this starts a chain of events that uh, is bad news for basically, you know, almost everybody at this college campus. <laughs> yes. Uh, you wanted to talk about Tom Atkins. Oh, yeah, I wanted to talk about Tom Atkins, uh, Enter Detective Ray Cameron, uh, who we <laughs> actually saw earlier in the uh, in the prologue. Uh, 
as a young beat cop That's in the right. 1950s. A flatfoot. Yes, uh, it was uh, his lady love was killed by a psycho killer. Indeed. The very same night that the alien plague was dropped. It was a busy night it for was, them. Uh, it's a rough, <laughs> rough shift. Wow. I don't, I don't envy his character. That's a lot to go through in one night, and then to, uh, uh, to suddenly get the call, and uh, he is always called before he enters every scene, of course. Yes. Because he has to respond uh, with his big line that's like the selling line of the whole movie. <laughs> He's thrill me. Thrill me. Yes, thrill me. we go back to this. Uh, he keeps asking people to thrill him because he seems like a fairly unhappy fellow. Wow. This is not your standard Columbo type of <laughs> character here, where he's a little rough around the edges. <laughs> this guy's no. full on suicidal. Yeah, he's just not happy with his lot. He's pretty bent on a shape. Uh, and he's sort of got that been there, done that, I've seen everything kind of mentality. Yeah, and this turns out to be kind of hubristic, because uh, I don't think the case that he now encounters is anything that he's seen before. Although it does have ties to his past. Bizarre. Bizarre the way things tie together. Um, yeah, the other <laughs> interesting thing is the relationship, I think, between Jason Lively and the Steve Marshall character. J.C., yeah. his best buddy, is like uh, on crutches. Yes. And uh, either does not see himself as a uh, potential partner for anyone, or is living completely vicariously through his friend, yes. or possibly is in love <laughs> with his friend. friend. Yeah, uh, and, one uh, of those two. We're not sure exactly what it's being played <laughs> for, but there it's sort of a bromance relationship before bromance were somewhat popularized lately. Well, I mean it's it's hard to it's hard to like have all those comic scenes without having a buddy there too. I yeah. mean they are trying to do a lot of setup knockdown eighties comedy uh, dialogue yeah. in every scene, so it's it's just I think sometimes easier to have a buddy there. I think it's a fine line to walk too, because they act they 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 take their sort of relationship scenes fairly seriously, mm. and the movie is kind of goofy. So oh, the yeah. fact that so much attention is paid <clears throat> to their relationship is kind of an interesting. I mean, I'm not going to say distracting; it's just an interesting angle that's explored in the movie. Mm. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, no, I, I guess I have to agree. I managed to uh, be so shocked by so what a what was going on otherwise from their relationship <laughs> that I largely forget the the intimacy that they share in those scenes, yes. obviously. But, uh. Well, going back to the horror aspect of the film, too, in the lab, um, the scientist that was working in the lab is attacked by the corpse. Yes. Uh, and the actor who played that, I believe, is David Pamer. Correct. Um, who would go on to great things mm -hmm. and actually go on to not directly shit talk this movie but shit talk this movie because he would complain later in his career that when things started out he was always that guy who got killed in the first reel of the horror movie which is what he is here but he's completely adequate in it and i'd just like to say mr pamer if i was in this movie i would be very proud of it. absolutely <laughs> I, well i'm assuming it's it has to have some sort of cult following i would think <laughs> because uh, this is this is too much fun and it was i mean i mean despite the fact that Fred Decker went on to do RoboCop 3 and mm -hmm. Monster Squad. This is clearly, he loved the genre as a kid growing up, and he clearly watched them during the 50s and 60s, and when his time came, he 
took his shot. Yeah. And I, I like that about the movie, too. I think it's just a lot of fun for that reason. He just embraces it in all its B-glory. Yeah, I don't know how much traction it got right away. I think this is some sort of a cult movie that was found and caught up with. But the, there was so many great, crazy, comedy, violent horror movies coming out in the 80s. It, it's, it was, it was a, an embarrassment of riches mm. that a movie this good actually could almost slip by unnoticed. Well, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think I, it's I, a lot of fun. It, uh, <laughs> we, we keep on getting sidetracked, but uh, sorry, yeah. no, the, the basic script of the once infected by this thing, the, these brain bugs grow inside your head until yeah. your head explodes. With more. With brain bugs. Right, and yeah. then those brain bugs still got more heads to invade. Absolutely. And once you have a bug in your brain, you act very zombie-like, which yes. Larry approves of. Yes, <laughs> two thumbs up for zombies. Um, but we also find out that they're able to get into the bodies that are buried. For instance, the body of the serial killer, who, spoilers, yes. Tom Aitken's had uh, killed as revenge for the death of his love back in the day and buried under one of the houses. Yes. One of my... Uh, Favorite scenes that I remember seeing, at, like so many movies, I saw this too young. Mm. I remember being quite terrified by the sequence where the, the skeleton uh, axes its way out of the floorboards ah, yes. of the house matron's yeah, yeah, <laughs> living no. room. Pretty, a, I, that was pretty scary when uh, you were like 11 or 12 or whatever old I was when I saw this movie. Understandably, yeah. No, I can see how that would frighten a young fella. So we're getting all of these different things thrown at us. Um, yeah, leeches, zombies, uh, awkward sort of romantic comedy angle between Jason Lively and, yes. and uh, this uh, woman he's romancing, played by uh, Jill Whitlow. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. She went on to do other, other things. Other things, I'm sure. Yeah. I don't know her in anything beyond this. Um, and this was sort of the, one of the last things I remember seeing Jason Lively in. He was he played Rusty yeah. in one of the vacation movies. I believe the European, I want to say, maybe. That sounds right. <laughs> it's been so long, but yeah, no, that sounds right. There's so much going on in this movie, and there's so much good going on. And uh, there's keeping a lot of balls in the air. It's funny, but it is also still sort of scary. There's some good action set pieces to it. Um, mm -hmm. Yes, it's really. I mean, I don't have a lot negative to say about it. There is some in-your-face eightiness to it, like uh, especially I find with the uh, the guys from the sorority house. Yes, <laughs> yes. They just like they're so eighties. It, it it hurts. It's like it's oh, hilarious. Yeah. But <laughs> these characters are like ubiquitous with eighties movies. Yeah. So, so I mean, it's it's perfectly fine. I accept that. And they're playing the college douchebag types adequately exactly. enough. Wow. Yeah, no, I'm sure it was a real stretch for all of them. It was... Yeah. No, but it, it, so much so that when one of them gets turned, uh, her, her, you know, his ex-girlfriend doesn't even notice... Exactly. ...that he's a zombie. He's a zombie because he <laughs> remains just silent and douchey towards her. It's great, actually. If you're halfway into horror movies or you you're into comedies, I think this is worth a look. It is quite violent and it it yes it, it is a genre bending fun horror comedy. Uh, so if that's your bag, I say by all means, yeah, dip right into Night of the Creeps. Oh, I think I think I can endorse this movie for anybody <laughs> who just enjoys something like silly and lighthearted as well. I mean, it's despite the fact that yes, there are some 
scary moments, and I think probably the scariest being right out of the gate. Mm-hmm. Again, uh, anytime somebody is axed, murdered, it's, it's that's that's upsetting. And great practical '80s special effects too. Mm-hmm. I remember there's a scene with a little zombie cat that I thought was kind of great, well done, <laughs> and uh, another great uh, zombie versus uh, lawnmower sequence. Well, lest we think Dead Alive was the first and only zombie movie that employed there a lawnmower know. against nope. a room full of zombies. No, no, no. Night no, no, of no. the Creeps got there first, people. It's true. Is there it's anything true. else you want to say about Night of the Creeps? Um, I don't think so. It was it was a lot of fun. Excellent. Thank you. Agreed. From the director of Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Adam and Barbara are ghosts. What's the good of being a ghost if you can't frighten people away? Their house is being haunted by the living. Maybe the house could use a little remodeling. And they can't scare them into leaving. They said it's a little late to be neurotic. So they're calling on Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Who's no ordinary ghost. Yeah, you don't want his help. Can you be scary? What do you think of this? Now, the party's over. You want somebody out of the house? I want to get somebody out of your house. (laughs) But the fun has just begun. It's showtime. So there once was a ghost named Beetlejuice. Um, I saw Beetlejuice several times in the theater when I was a kid. In the theater? Yeah. um, Lucky you. I think it was still playing uh, shortly after I'd moved to Saskatchewan. And uh, I had lots of free time, and um, uh, my parents were being very generous with me. I had a lot of pocket money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, it just kept on playing in the theater, and I kept on going to see it. full of piss and vinegar. <laughs> so I would go to movies by myself, like all popular boys. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so I'm a big fan of it, and I, you know, uh, like a lot of people, couldn't wait to see, you know, where Tim Burton would go. Um, and... Oh, the places he's gone. Oh, the places he's gone. Up, down, and everywhere in between. Really? Everywhere in between? <laughs> every every <laughs> every creepy corner of the attic has been explored. Well, yes. Um, I think that this is one of my personal favorites of Tim Burton's films, though. Absolutely. Uh, uh, Absolutely. The level of creativity in it and the level of love put into it is huge. And uh, I like the... I like that they use stop motion animation Absolutely. in it. I mean, it, I, that's the kind of animation that doesn't fool anyone. I don't think you believe what you're seeing is real, but yeah. it looks awesome it in does. its own way. And it uh, if you're going to follow this wacky movie to all of the absurd corners that it leads you anyway, why not? Why not the claymation? Well, and that's just, I think Tim Burton was really starting to discover his aesthetic with yeah. this movie in a lot of ways. Like, it. it this His palette world. would be returned to again and again. And and it just has gotten more and more refined as yeah. his movies have gone along. So. And it's not even the world of the small town I would be talking about here. It's like... Mm. It's not even the world of the small town that I'd be talking about. It's the, the world of the the model of the small town that uh, mm-hmm. Alec Baldwin's character has mm-hmm. made, where everything doesn't necessarily look perfectly real. In fact, there's like... Uh, I think a deliberate artifice to everything. Most definitely. But it's consistent throughout the film, so exactly. you go with it. He did much similar with uh, 
the portrayal of suburbia in, in Edward Scissorhands. Yeah. It wasn't real, but it was sort of a consistent vision, and that's the heightened version it. of things. And yeah, that's just it. When he when he dives into that aesthetic, and you're you have to go in sort of neck deep with him, and that makes it easier to sort of let the bad animation go. Yeah, it's part um, of the world. And this story really agrees with him. This is definitely a world that he was sort of. Uh, a, a good a good person to be leading the reins to. Mm. Uh, basically, the plot is that the Maitlands, a, a very sugary, sweet, small-town couple, have an unfortunate accident, and uh, they drown. And yes. they come back as ghosts to live in their house. And they find that they have a hundred years to enjoy their house and each other. Um, because they live good lives, I guess, and because of all the hard work that they've done in the house. That's right. Um, and that... Uh, a lot of the first act of the movie is them sort of adjusting to being ghosts. Yes. yes and we kind yeah. of explore the afterlife in a way that few films do <laughs> and that I quite like. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's done in kind of a innocent way, I guess. It's, yeah. it's approached with pretty wide eyes, and I think that's, that's kind of nice. There's just a, I don't know, they're both really timid about the entire experience, and so it breaks you in and... Makes so, it accessible to younger people, I think, too. They're just starting to get a handle on the new rules of the world. Mm. You can't leave your house or else you end up on uh, Mars. I think it was, was it Mars, where sure. there's a bunch yeah. of sandworms that chase you. Yes. And that time there travels differently when you're there for only a few seconds. Several hours go by on AS it's craziness, things like that. <laughs> Um, all is going well for the Maitlands. <laughs> They're learning to be ghosts. They're adapting to their new lives. And then Catherine O'Hara, oh. Jeffrey Jones, Winona Ryder show up to remodel and destroy their oh. quaint small town environment. Oh. Uh, Catherine O'Hara brings her personal assistant, Otho. <laughs> uh, I don't know that actor's name. Uh, he actually uh, showed up in Heathers, which I just talked about recently with... Uh, with Natara. Oh, yeah. Okay. Glenn Shaddix plays yes, Otho. Uh, the uh, comical interior design sort of... You get the idea that he makes his entire existence just somehow sucking money out of the Catherine O'Hara character. Yeah. Whatever she needs, he is for her, be it interior design or yes. be it a psychic or uh, a paint, you know. Yeah. What, whatever she needs. He's, he's fabulous the, enough to be everything. <laughs> yes, exactly. And Jeffrey Jones has moved the family out to the country because he needs to relax. I don't know if he had some sort of a heart event or some sort of health issue that has compelled this to come along, but uh, mm. obviously you get the <laughs> idea that relaxing doesn't come easily to him. <laughs> uh, and especially being married to this complete uh, to, well, <laughs> crazy person, Catherine O'Hara, with her bizarre artwork and her uh, control yes. issues. And his, yeah, goth daughter. Yes. Played by Winona Ryder, also oh. from Heathers. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, the, the Maitlands aren't uh, liking these new people in their house at all. Of course not. Well, they, uh, they have this book of the for the recently deceased, uh, which gets them in touch with their social worker, which uh, introduces yeah. another interesting wrinkle of the movie. Yeah. If you kill yourself, we learn, yeah. you become uh, basically a government employee yeah. in the afterlife. Right. Your job basically is to help other people get through the experience of yes. transition between yeah. you know life and afterlife uh, another sort of interesting and dark wrinkle um, yeah. and they are also introduced to, to uh, 
this character who won't say his name, but uh, says, if you call me, say that name three times, I'll show up. And he calls himself a bio-exorcist. Mm-hmm. And he can get rid of troublesome humans. <laughs> this is like an exterminator of humans. That's right. This is, of course, Beetlejuice, played uh, quite memorably by Michael Keaton. Undeniably, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so they're told that they can try and haunt the place themselves, right. or they have the option to hire Beetlejuice or presumably someone else to do the job for them. Well, yeah. yeah. Um, All of this uh, sort of speaks to the level of imagination that that Mm. has been put into this movie. No kidding. Sandworms in space and, uh, you know, suicidal government workers and... uh, (laughs) Well, your lead character is a self-proclaimed bio-exorcist. Yes. um, Who works for ghost people in order to get rid of their human... I don't know, yeah, nuisances? Nuisances, nuisances? Exactly, uh, like a know. human exterminator. So, well, yeah, so... And it's also interesting that for some reason he lives, he lives in the model that Alec Baldwin's character has created of his small town. It seems like the Beetlejuice spirit has somehow been banished into this model for some mm-hmm. reason. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's also interesting to me to see uh, Alec Baldwin and Gina Davis playing the Maitlands. Uh, Alec Baldwin especially playing such like a, a, a milk toast sort of character. Oh, yeah. He's he's not a badass. He's not gruff Alec Baldwin at all. You not don't, in the least. Yeah. You don't he's, imagine that, that violence even occurs to this character at all. He's just a, a completely mellow fellow. Yeah, no, he's a sensitive guy. I can see why Gina Davis ended up with him. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And uh, as such, because they're so nice, they're not very good at being ghosts. No. They don't know how to scare these people. No. Like, they seem to forget that these people can't see them, so they do all these absurd things to themselves to try and scare them off. Right, yes. Enter the, some of the claymation... Uh, Absolutely. If I have complaints about Beetlejuice, I mean, and I have to look pretty hard to find them. I mean, if I'm honest, the ending of the movie doesn't make a heck of a lot of sense. (laughs) Not really. But if I'm honest, I don't really care that it doesn't make a heck of a lot of sense. Uh, Yeah. Um, It's it's this one's about the ride. (laughs) It is. Um, you're not going to know what's around the next corner in this movie. It, no. You were talking about a, a memorable dance sequence in the movie. Of course, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, it's uh, Hera Belafonte. Yeah. 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 And uh, they're sitting around their dining table, and uh, Ortho's there trying to basically conduct well, the exorcist, an exorcism of the house. Yes. Uh, getting rid of these ghosts and instead is, uh, becomes possessed by Michael Keaton's The entire Jesus. dinner party is basically, uh, does yes. a song and dance routine, uh, in that to one the, sequence to, to the uh, banana boat song. <laughs> the banana boat song. Yes. Um, and, uh, to the horror of, uh, Gina Davis and Alec Baldwin. Yes. So this mm-hmm. does not, scare them away. This, in fact, makes them more interested. That's right. Uh, They start courting investors. They start trying to find ways in. We have proof of the afterlife. Absolutely. And this gets exacerbated because Otho gets his hands on the book for the recently deceased. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. That's right. They Um, lose their handbook to Otho. They do sort of befriend and quickly bond with the Winona Ryder character. Uh, The goth girl, really? Yeah. (laughs) Who is able to see them. For yes. some reason, because well, she herself is strange and unusual. That's as right. She says. Um, I've been going on and on. Please, what what are your? Um, oh gosh, what can I say? I mean, I think for me, I mean, Beetlejuice will always have a special place for me in the Tim Burton catalog. I think, uh, in many ways, it reminds me of why I 
liked his movies in the first place. And uh, largely because of the performances that he got from actors other than the ones that he uses every time now. I do think it actually holds up quite well, both in the sort of visual standpoint and and uh, like it doesn't doesn't feel like a really eighties movies necessarily. Uh, uh, I think I've seen it a lot of times and I enjoyed watching it again for this. Like I didn't, it, it, it wears well. It bears repeat viewing well, which I also think so, says something about it. Uh, well, yeah, that's a that's a, a part of of being a timeless movie or being able to just exist in all the time slots is uh, that you don't marry yourself to one time or another and it's not an 80s movie at all but it's not uh, an anytime movie and I think again claymation actually gives you that leeway in some ways as soon as you start using digital images the quality changes time and time again claymation really hasn't changed at all so and then there's the small town vibe, right? We got a small town vibe. It does. It feels weirdly fifties, just because of the, especially the Gina Davis and, and like I say, the Alec Baldwin characters. They, Absolutely. They, they they could be living in Mayberry for all we Most know. Uh, and that adds sort of to a timeless quality uh, of it. Um, it's it's a lot of fun, and it's fairly light. I think it's also the least horror movie of all of these there might be a couple of boo moments and it does deal with ghosts in the afterlife but it's a very soft touch and it's it it wants to charm you it doesn't want to scare you absolutely and And it does charm you it does it's it's a it's fun to watch and i think it's very accessible for a younger audience in that way too and we've got to give uh, Michael Keaton his due here, too. Um, Michael, I mean, Michael Keaton was like a super, super hot actor at this time. He, he was Batman, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, for a while there, he was just uh, the movie star, the go-to movie star. But he also had the goods. <laughs> uh, yes. I don't think this would be the same if, say, Johnny Depp played Beetlejuice. I really think that uh, uh, Michael Keaton really brought some sort of... Uh, his style and energy really added something to the movie. Absolutely. Uh, this is a real high point for him, or for me, in terms of his uh, movieography. And as much as his his name is the title of the movie, he is a supporting player. Yeah. Uh, he, he's sort of a villain-slash-supporting player. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, the, there's a couple times where he actually directly refers to the audience, uh, he also breaks the the wall that's a little true, bit. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't know if that's a choice that I would have made, but it wasn't so distracting as to hurt the movie for me. Yeah, well, it always had that sort of... The movie never had a sense of being grounded in any kind of reality anyway. So, I mean, mm-hmm. if he wants to cheat to the audience on occasion, I suppose, why not? I mean, he's capable of communicating with both sides of the known world in this universe. I mean, he's... He's he's sort of playing both sides of the fence in some ways. I think he's, he he knows how to get to the humans in the way that there are ghost heroes can't. So, and his energy sort of uh, sort of helps fly over the softer edges of the script. Like for some reason, he needs to get married to be unbanished, and uh, uh, you know the whole business. Uh, the the the, the Somewhat sloppy, but a visually spectacular third act of the movie where the Maitlands mm-hmm. are being exercised, which is, as we have heard, death for for the dead. Mm-hmm. If you get exercised, then you're a lost soul, you're, which is like bad right. news. Yeah. Um, and uh, the whole climax of the movie revolves around that. And then at some point, Gina Davis's ghost rides in on top of one of these worms. 
and eats Beetlejuice. I, I, I don't know exactly what happened there. <laughs> and like, uh, it, it sort of worked against what we'd seen before. But like I said, this is not a movie that, that asks you to think too deeply about some of these things. Well, yeah, no, it's, it's best not to. I mean, yeah. the, that she could somehow bridge between the two worlds, the, the Mars world and the ghost world, and somehow break through into the human world from the Mars world. I mean, Either a reel of all, the film but... is missing, or we just need to let go and say, that just happened, the, let's roll with the punches. Yeah, this movie is funny and charming. And we do. And uh, you should. And the movie earns it in a way that few subsequent Tim Burton movies will. Regrettably, yes. Regrettably, yes. I think uh, it's it's a shame, too, because I love the aesthetic that he brings, but it's it's gotten sort of... It's like a voice correcting on overproduced music. Yeah, and it's just... Auto-tune. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's got a bit auto-tune now. It's sad. I'm but, sorry to say that, but that's true. Good for Danny Elfman to yeah. uh, contribute his part here. I think it's uh, anytime you can get somebody like that working on your movie, it makes a big difference. And it I think this does. movie's style was playing to his strengths. Absolutely, of course it was. The dun 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 dun. Like it's just it's got that pace. It's got the right. It's got the same charm that he can easily underscore. So yeah, he gets a shout out on that one. Fair enough. Hello? Hello? Who is this? If you tell me your name, I'll tell you mine. <laughs> I don't think so. What's that noise? Popcorn. You making popcorn? Well, I'm getting ready to watch a video. Really? What? Well, just some scary movie. You like scary movies? Uh-huh. You never told me your name. Why do you want to know my name? I want to know who I'm looking at. Someone is playing a deadly game. It all began with a scream over 911. Someone who's seen one too many scary movies. Now he's taken his love of fear. Hello? Hello, Sydney. One step too far. Like scary movies. What's the point? They're all the same. Some stupid killer stalking some big-breasted girl who can't act, who's always running up the stairs when she should be going out the front door. It's insulting. There are certain rules that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a scary movie. So in 1996, uh, mm. Wes Craven and Kevin Williamson came out with Scream. Wow. Um, it was uh, a huge box office hit. Um, Aided, I think, by the fact that it had two big television stars in it, uh, Courtney yes. Cox and Nev Campbell. Indeed. Were both big on TV at that time. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Kevin Williamson is very much lauded for sort of bringing the sort of meta angle into the horror movie, mm-hmm. um, the self-referential thing. Mm-hmm. I think that's true and it's not. I think there's been a lot of movies before it that uh, did wink at you and that did have a couple of lines. I think what Scream did was sort of make an entire movie almost about that. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, the entire movie could be well encapsulated in, in, in a lot of ways with the opening sequence with Drew Barrymore. Absolutely. Um, but uh, there's much more to it. But I think that that's the most famous thing about the movie in a lot of ways. And I think it's famous for good reason. Well, uh, gee, what did you think of Scream? All right. Well, um, I uh, I remember seeing Scream when it came out, and I, I was not a big fan of the horror genre then, so saw it mostly through my fingers. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's never really a good way to see a movie. No, um, you miss things. You do, as it turns <laughs> out. So, yeah, no, I, I, I remember 
I, I do remember the story. So coming into it again now, it was uh, it was maybe different, but uh, I really managed to enjoy this a lot this time around, and uh, I'm certainly uh, I've seen so much more horror since then. It's just more palatable now, I guess. But uh, the opening scene with uh, Drew Barrymore answering her telephone and basically uh, starting the chain reaction of events that takes place was probably the scariest scene of all of these movies, I would say. Uh, It was really uh, gripping and tense, and uh, you definitely felt the threat immediately, and... uh, after after that point, it was uh, it almost became more of a murder mystery for me, which uh, I didn't mind. I kind of liked it. It was still fun to watch, but uh, I guess I was a little surprised that it took that direction. Um, yeah, it was definitely a scary movie made for or by and from every scary movie that kind of came before it, yeah. and it's it knew that going in and did an excellent job of sort of bringing them all together and summarizing it into one sort of nutshell. I'm Basically, surprised they needed two, three, four, what is there, five? There's four now. Oh, four, yeah. okay. So. As, of, as of 2013, there is four Scream movies. Outstanding. Uh, um, yeah, the opening sequence, uh, the, all of the promotional materials had Drew Barrymore's front and center. So part of the flash... Cover of the DVD yeah. case, yeah. Part of the, the flash casting there was interesting in that... Uh, she only lasts the first 10 minutes of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, though basically the entire opening sequence, she is being tormented on the telephone yes. by this raspy voiced ghost face killer mm-hmm. who is quizzing her on horror, horror movies. movies. Mm-hmm. And every time she gets a question wrong, there are repercussions. Mm. Um, and this of course culminates in a very, very brutal death. And we don't necessarily see it coming or expected at that point or that, you know, she's going to wake up and it's a dream and Drew Barrymore is going to be our main character. Right? (laughs) No, no, Nev Campbell is our main character. Ah, Um, And we find that out after, you know, Drew Barrymore's body is found hanging in a tree. (laughs) Yes, yes, exactly. Uh, Yes, once, uh, basically once they put Scream up as as the title, we find out that she's gone. Uh, great scene though well done Wes Craven has made a lot of movies most most of them horror movies and uh, a lot of them fairly decent Um, but this is sort of uh, this his craft is in sort of at a high level in the 90s here Mm. it it seemed like he did a test run of Scream in one of the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street movies interestingly the new Nightmare he gets all meta uh, it's sort of about the cast of Nightmare on Elm Street being plagued by this spirit mm. that they sort of partially unleashed by creating Freddy Krueger, oh, right? No. Yeah. So, uh, although that movie that. is like a disaster, whereas Scream is not at all. I don't, it's it's a huge success. One well, in the introduction, I called it like a '90s defining movie, and mm. I think that's fairly like if you want to say what was the vibe of the '90s, check out the first couple of Scream movies, and yeah. you've got a pretty good idea. Certainly, um, there's a certain sort of viciousness to the violence, uh, um, but a lightness to the characters uh, for the yes. most part. Um, Anything with a knife, though, when it's when it's that close, when the when the death is intimate like that, it always seems more violent to me. I don't know, uh, uh, maybe that's wrong of me, but for some reason, watching somebody even getting shot at uh, 
you know, an execution somehow is less painful to watch than somebody being stabbed. Yeah. No, there's something really uh, personal, even intimate, about uh, using a knife to kill somebody, you know? Yeah. Uh, if you're using a knife to kill somebody, you don't just want to kill them, you want them to die badly. Well, and you, you want to see them die. Yeah. You want to look into their face while it happens. That's, yeah. that's fucked up. Uh, we are introduced to Sydney and her friend of a uh, band of high school types um, who've got sort of Matthew Lillard playing sort of this amped up jocular type of, type of guy. Yes. Um, you've got uh, Hottie Rose McGowan. Yes, that's who, right. Yeah. Who, uh, maybe he looks a little too old to be in high school, but that, that's okay. Maybe it's actually. Her older brother, Dewey, uh, played by uh, David Arquette, uh, sort right. of the bumbling uh, sheriff. And uh, this is sort of deputy, correct? Uh, <laughs> this is sort of my my favorite incarnation of Dewey as he goes on through this series. I, uh, uh, the charm sort of starts to wear off a little bit over time, hmm. but uh, I do really it's kind of like how it played out in real life. Too, yeah, I guess. Uh, Ouch! But I really like that character, and uh, I remember there's a sequence later on where we really think Dewey is down and out, and it was kind of like, oh, that's too bad. We liked him. Mm. <laughs> The series of deaths that are happening in the high school seem to be uh, somehow circling around Sydney. Yes. And uh, she does. She, she tries to sort of solve the mystery. Uh, Gail Weathers, played by Courtney Cox, has got a book coming out. Uh, it's yes. the anniversary of her mother's death. Yes. Not coincidentally, I don't think we have any uh, surprises yeah. there that that's going to come back, back to bite us. Of course. <laughs> um, so... She's got baggage, and she's being stalked by a killer, and it's basically a really bad couple of days <laughs> yes. for Sydney. Indeed. Uh, this uh, is really ill-timed, too, because her father decides to go out of town. On business, which he does. Uh, it's regular. very casual when he goes, I'm assuming. And uh, her boyfriend, uh, I can't remember the character's name, but he's played by Skeet Ulrich, is... Uh, Always acting oh, sort of it? needlessly serious and spooky. Yeah, it's like Billy or Bobby Billy, or yeah, is it Billy. That's right. Billy sounds Great. good. Yeah. <laughs> um, the characters are well enough uh, presented and acted. I don't have any large complaints. I think that uh, the Skeet uh, Ulrich has sort of got the most mockable character with his sort of hyper seriousness and his you know bangs yeah. covering half of his face and whatnot. Yeah. Um, but that's just sort of of the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, uh, for me, uh, yeah, I felt that his performance just seemed somewhat out from the rest, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I don't know why it is, but Matthew Lillard, whenever I see him on screen, he always seems to like be salivating a lot. It's weird. I don't know why, but I find it distracting. <laughs> it's very. I, I know, it's uh, such a weird thing to say. But. God. A lot of energy. He seems to barely be able to keep himself bottled in at the best of time. Mm -hmm. And he's not asked to bottle it in at all mm -hmm. in this. Uh, Stu is a very sort of <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, wild a, character. Oh, he's a wild man. <laughs> and that's, that's, that's fine. I think the character I most identified with, obviously, is the Jamie Kennedy character, who works at the local video store and knows 
horror movies like the back of his hand. Well, he's and the one he, that tells us the rules. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And he sees a horror movie set up, you know, kind of a mile away. He knows mm. <laughs> what's happening. Yes, exactly. He is sort of the representative of the horror-savvy audience, which mm-hmm. is, you know, what this movie was originally being served for. It ended up being for everyone. Every Like, people lined up to see this movie again yes. and again. Yeah. But yeah, Jamie Kennedy is who I sort of most identified with. Uh, the the girls wouldn't pay him any attention, so he just had his VHS horror movies to keep him company. <laughs> That's beautiful. <laughs> and he does very clearly outline the rules of the horror movie in another quite indeed. famous scene. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, why do in horror movies the, the women, if they see the killer, run up the flight of stairs instead of out the front, out the front door? Front door. Yeah, you know. yeah, I think Neff Gamble gets that line. But yeah. Uh, like, yeah, Jamie, what does he say? No sex, no drugs. Yeah, no sin booze. factor. Yes, all the sins. and uh, Don't say I'll be right back. Yeah. <laughs> of course not. That's, <laughs> a, that's a death sentence. So... But uh, Good rules, though. I've always sort of that? been of a couple, two minds of the rules. Yes, I mean, those are some of the obvious strokes of horror movies, but the typical trope is that the cast is going to get whittled down to two or three people at best. Mm-hmm. So, uh, like in real life, if you want to survive, you just want to be running far away from the secluded party that you are at. Absolutely. Sydney uh, decides to go to a party on Halloween, and the yes. killers decide to choose this night to pr- reveal themselves and uh, why they're doing this and what personal uh, facet they have to play with Sydney. Right. Um, we talk spoilers here, so I think I'm going to go ahead and just go into the third act pretty thoroughly. Okay. Yeah. Um, after a series of decent set piece murders, uh, Memorably, there's the garage murder. Yes, uh, the garage uh, door murder. Rose McGowan gets her neck broken, and uh, they kill the Fonzie. (laughs) The Fonzie. No, right. Um, Never see Henry Winkler. Yeah, poor Henry. One of the things that this movie addresses well, I think, is uh, a trope in a lot of the slasher movies, especially seen in the '80s. The killers seem to be able to be everywhere. Yes, like they'd just, you know impossible like they could teleport yeah um this is particularly bad in a couple of friday the 13th movies that i can think of where jason seems to just magically be in the right place at the right time and then cut to another scene in a different location and there he is again you know (laughs) and somehow he went to one castle in between exactly (laughs) outstanding um but this movie is not a supernatural movie the killers are, are are people and the way they get around this is that there were two. There are more than one of them, yes. And uh, that's how I got duped in this uh, in this movie. Mm-hmm. I was I was fairly convinced that it was Matthew Lillard. When I watched this movie, I figured Matthew Lillard's got to be the killer because he's just... Yeah. And for me, like, Skeet Ulrich just comes on way too strong as yeah. the killer. They want you right to think from... it's Skeet Ulrich. Wow. Right? Like, Do please, they... he's our killer. He's the red herring. <laughs> uh, and it turns out that he is, but he's just not working alone, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's a smart screenplay. It it's really well is. acted. The, uh, That's the comedy or the satire works and, and the horror elements, I think work. I mean, there's genuine wow. suspense in the movie. I mean, maybe it's top heavy in that they never really top the Drew Barrymore opening sequence, mm-hmm. but, uh, this movie is not boring. No, <laughs> uh, it's did start the scream franchise and maybe it overstayed its welcome, but it certainly deserves the uh, respect it gets. Undeniably. Yeah. No, I mean, 
Yeah, it, it, I don't know. It probably did something for the status of horror movies at the time again, too, I would think. Well, it seems like a, a, a high-concept, low-budget horror movie is a fairly consistent lock, so... Oh, jeez. Whoa, Jesus. Did you see the way those guys looked at us? Who wants to go skinny dipping? secured themselves a dilapidated cabin in some obscure corner of woods which summer they home. see they see as their their summer home and, and new paradise yeah uh it's a fixer-upper uh, but they intend to go out there drink some beer do some fishing and uh Fix up this cabin. live their backwood life yeah they are plagued <laughs> by a group of university uh students who've come to the woods to camp Yes. <laughs> and it keeps on messing up their weekend because uh, a series of misunderstandings lead me, these kids come to believe that they are killers and keep causing more and more problems for them and as a result keep on uh, you know getting themselves killed off mm-hmm. such is the premise the <laughs> high concept premise of Tucker and Dale versus Evil that's right yeah. uh, what do you think Alan Tudyk does a nice job of explaining it in one of the scenes where it's it's these college kids that keep coming in and they do this uh, this ritual group sacrifice <laughs> and uh, I don't know it's, it's, he, uh, it's just so funny the way he explains it but uh, obviously these kids are just there to like ruin their <laughs> attempt at just a vacation where these two guys can get away and try and fix up this cabin and uh, just enjoy some time as bros. So, uh, yeah, I really, I, I felt for them. Uh, I just, I, I enjoyed this quite a bit. I thought it was, like, hilariously violent considering the <laughs> fact that uh, there really wasn't a killer as such. No. And somehow horrible, horrible deaths before these these college kids they're just fools i guess but yeah. uh, they it's fun are to watch they get themselves so worked up and they uh, are are so terrified and so amped that they find themselves you know befalling horrible accidents repeatedly mm-hmm. and with each death it sort of reconfirms with the surviving members that there's some terrible killers out there trying to get them yes <laughs> well i i, I do uh, I know it's the romance angle as well, obviously, mm-hmm. but uh, they managed to save 
but what is interpreted as capturing uh, one of the college uh, girls from the yes. group. Crazy hottie, Katrina Bowden. Uh, if you've ever seen 30 Rock, she plays the crazy hottie mm. on 30 Rock. Uh, she's uh, very beautiful, and she's actually a very solid actress in the role. She's not just cast for her, her, her beauty. Um, and uh, she weirdly connects with Tyler Levine's character. Mm-hmm. Uh, she slips on some rocks and falls into the water, and they yes. save her. And take her to get medical care, but However, from the other kids' perspective, they basically see them hauling a body off to body. Their, their little shanty in the woods. Yeah, we got your friend. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, the point of view stuff in this movie is very funny and very well done. Indeed. We understand Tucker and Dale's point of view Most and why they're exasperated and like absolutely, they feel like they're being plagued by these college kids. Well, they know they're being judged by them too. <laughs> yeah. Harshly. And, yeah, um, it hurts them. But we also see the kid's perspective, and at least until about the halfway point of it, we understand why they think what they think and why they make some of the bizarre decisions that they do. <laughs> well, the first time we enc- they encounter them, uh, he's trying to go and hit on uh, Super Hottie. And, yes. And um, he carries over a uh, full-size size <laughs> with him. <laughs> with him. In order to engage in the conversation, after he's been given the advice to just laugh at whatever smile she big says. and laugh, yeah. Well, that's going to end badly every time. Yeah. I don't care who you are. <laughs> uh, I'm going to say this, and uh, I, I, it's not both a good and maybe bad thing about the movie, but okay. it's a one joke movie. This that's is true. a one joke movie. It is. It's a funny joke. It's a great joke, <laughs> and uh, I think it's really aided by having Levine and and, and Alan Tudyk from. Firefly uh, as our lead. Well, I mean, most Joss Whedon. Uh, yeah, I've, seen, I've seen a lot of uh, Alan yeah. and Joss Whedon stuff. So. Yeah, but I think that on the wrong hands, these guys could have, you know, been a little bit. They are a little bit cartoonish, but you kind of you 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 get to know them and like them fairly quickly. Absolutely, there's no sort of arm's length. Uh, with these guys, we sort of we 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 get them. Yes, we maybe wouldn't want you know want to live their lives, but we you know get them. <laughs> yes, we do. Um, I think the other thing is that um, I said we sort of understand the kids' perspective until about the halfway point. Yes, uh, the movie needs to sort of get itself a genuine villain, and it rather suddenly produces one uh, from one of the kids. Yeah, it's kind of inconsequential <laughs> I mean it's I, I, he's really it really wasn't just a mode of convenience having him as a scapegoat for this uh, for all of the horror that takes place they just needed somebody you know somebody's got to go to jail at the end of this or at least be blamed and they must have you know a killer so one needs to be produced and they basically choose the douchiest kid of the group which kind of works out great so <laughs> yes. I was okay with that Jesse Moss is uh, the name of the actor. Well, I don't have anything against him. It's just the character he played. Uh, yeah, I believe, I'm just looking here to confirm, actually, as I speak, that he was in Ginger Snaps way back in the day. His name is Jesse Moss, and uh, his character is sort of... He's always been obnoxious throughout the, the film. He and really has. Uh, uh, All of a sudden, he sort of goes off the map crazy. Mm-hmm. They faintly connect this to some plot that they vaguely set up earlier on, but uh, for the most part, if Tucker and Dale can't be a threat, 
but they still have to sort of be proven, exonerated, and made heroes. Absolutely. Someone's going to have to take the fall. We need our villain. And he just sort of steps into the light exactly when the the movie needs him to, and uh, it doesn't necessarily feel 100% natural to me. Uh, But this is me looking pretty hard to find something to complain about, because... The movie's mainly concerned with keeping a smile on your face, and I Absolutely. think for the most part it does that. Like. It does, indeed. Um, actually, one of my favorite uh, deaths uh, partway through the film is uh, uh, the fellow who's running through the woods after uh, after Tucker, or, yes, Tucker comes out after trying to do some work chainsawing. Yes, and he saws and he into the nest. Into, yes, exactly. Oh, uh, that's beautiful. Sort of, of course, he's, or whatever they are. He's running wildly, waving a chainsaw, swiping at bees, which, of course, these children don't see, so they run away. And uh, in watching him in fear, one of them impales himself on a fallen tree. Yes. And there's a moment of recognition that that character has, because he he realizes Tucker actually overtaking him while they're running and swinging wildly still. And there's that moment of recognition right before he goes, and I just really enjoyed that. (laughs) There was something just delightful about it. Oh, shit. Yeah. (laughs) But it was too late for him to tell his friends. Others could have been saved right then and there, once again. There's there's lots of opportunities to save these college kids along the way. They even try and use common sense at one point and sit down and explain each other's side of things. Like... (laughs) It's attempted, which is kind of surprising, because so many horror movies piss me off because nobody attempts common sense. Horror movie logic, as I call it. Let's split up so they can't get us so bad. Exactly. (laughs) So here we have an actual attempt just to communicate clearly, which solves all of the problems and just cuts from beginning to end of movie, but... Obviously, it fails. Yeah, and they they sort of stand united. They want to get you know go try and rescue their friend from these crazy rednecks. Right, right? exactly. <laughs> they saw them haul her body away in their canoe. So that's I, I can understand why you'd want to recover that person. There's an interesting element of cruel fate, I think, to this too. It's sort of a final destination sort of thing. Yes. Where it's like yes. it's like this Rube Goldberg series of <laughs> events to lead to uh, you know a, a, a horrible accident. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I mean, as it, when one falls, I think the next has to in, mm-hmm. in this movie. So it's it's kind of fun though because they have to come up with different ways for these kids to. To kill themselves in Tucker and Dale's eyes and be killed by Tucker and Dale's Dale in their friend's eyes. And yeah. uh, that's a, it becomes a difficult balance somewhere around the uh, the wood chipper. Did you uh, yes, the wood chipper. Did <laughs> so, you want to extrapolate? <laughs> well, no, I just uh, I guess uh, one of the one of the college kids decides he's going to tackle Tucker into a wood chipper that's running that he's running in order to get rid of some of the fallen lumber his timing is just off and his timing is off Tucker avoids the diving tackle and the kid dives headfirst into the wood chipper (laughs) there's no saving a person when they dive headfirst into a wood chipper it's all over but his friends sure try like hell to save him nonetheless well I mean Tucker and Dale first really trying to wrestle him out of there but it's yeah it's a losing battle it's unfortunate uh, did you buy the romantic angle between Katrina Bowden and Tyler Levine? No. 
No, I didn't necessarily buy it either. No, I mean, it's a tough sell. It is a tough sell, and I like I hate to be shallow-minded, but I mean, I like that she she takes sustains several blows to the head throughout this, and uh, you know everything in me says once she recovers from the concussion and she yes. realizes that you know she's yes. <laughs> with this bizarre redneck, she's gonna run back to the big city. <laughs> yeah, um, but is this guy a decent fella? Yes. Absolutely. And and I mean, I think that's all the relationship needs to be i mean i know that they have to push the love angle there but i mean there are other reasons obviously beyond the surface why that relationship clearly wouldn't work out so you know i mean i know that we find out later that he doesn't even like fishing but (laughs) nonetheless Um, it's canadian made uh the concept holds together for the most of the part of the running time of the movie the performances are solid Mm -hmm. um I'm I'm uh, a big supporter of Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Yeah. Is there anything else you would like to say about it? I mean, I lovable couple of hayseeds. I mean, they've got my support. <laughs> it's Tucker nice to see a, a couple of positive portrayals of rednecks. <laughs> yeah, indeed, indeed. Believe it, when I landed in the wrong place, though, you get me the wrong place. <laughs> well, lads, you discovered a species hitherto unknown to science. He kicked his head in. <laughs> Yo, check it. More. More what? Them things. Lovely fireworks. Mom, it's alien invasion. Of course it is. I'm killing them. I'm killing them straight. Let's get torn up, blood. They're quite sweet, really, aren't they? So uh, we're going to jump to the other side of the ocean here um, and take a look at um, writer-director Joe Cornish's Attack the Block. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the same production team, uh, I think, that was behind Shaun of the Dead. Mm. Um, notably abs- uh, absent is uh, Simon Pegg, but Nick Frost shows up right. in a small supporting role. Yes. Um, and the vibe is similar in that... Uh, they're sort of tackling a genre type piece. This is a little bit maybe more science fiction than horror, although yeah. it's got some good scares to it. Indeed. And the aliens do look very aggressive and nasty. They do. Um, basically, this uh, is about a bunch of ruffians. Yeah. <laughs> uh, these, uh, these, like, these kids who uh, live in a like, tower block and uh, basically yeah. make their living robbing people. And yeah, no, they're, they're like the. 14, 15 year old gangsters in they're, training. They're junior gang, yeah, junior gangsters, yeah. pretty much. They're, they're gangsters in training, that's well put. Um, and uh, basically, the movie opens with us seeing them robbing uh, what turns out to be someone who lives in the same block with them. Yes. Um, I usually don't like scary movies where the bulk of the cast is like kids or super young because. I have a hard time feeling jeopardy for them. I just there's a certain PG-ness to yeah. watching something when the characters are that old. Yes. And that's what's interesting, I think, about Attack the Block because it's sort of set up in the vibe of a Goonies sort of uh, bouncy Indeed. kid comedies. But the kids are pretty hardcore criminals when we meet them. Yes, and uh, unlike you know the Goonies or you know the, that ilk of film, not all the kids get 
get to make it home tonight. No. You know, there's a body count to this, and it's not. There is. It's not a PG affair necessarily. No, no, it's a it's a rated R film. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah. It's a, it's, a, uh, it's got some red. Aliens start raining down on the sky, and yes. uh, including in their little apartment block and complex, and uh, they Centering decide around their <laughs> apartment block. It seems. Uh, the little gra- ga- gang is sort of mixed up with uh, the criminal mastermind lives in the tower and has a drug operation there. Yes. Uh, they have their own stresses to deal with with him before the aliens start falling from the sky. Um, the kids are basically made of want to catch these things and sort of def- defend their turf. Right. And in the meantime, the mastermind, the drug overlord, is... Uh, feeling like he's getting threatened his power is being threatened Absolutely. and he needs to uh, do some sort of show of force uh, and he doesn't realize the stakes of uh, what's happening around no, him no he manages to remain completely oblivious all of the kids and I say all of the kids are solid in this movie there's not one sort of saccharine overly cute or no. wooden performance I bought all of these kids as completely totally tough little street kids. Yeah, yeah. they were they were hard, um, and and uh, you got to like them. It's an interesting presentation because at first you just you're not sure. Or, or, are we are we liking these guys, or is this movie going to be about evil being punished? Well, I think it's I think it's hard though because I mean right out of the gate they hold up this woman and it is at knife point like. This is these are five armed kids doing everything they can to terrify this woman. Terrify this woman and take her belongings. And I don't know, like it's hard to. It's I found it kind of difficult to like them despite that those actions because they seem to like idolize this high hat guy that the character was called, this guy that lives in the penthouse at the top of the block who runs the gang, basically. Yeah. They really seem to want to get in league with this guy. That was the lifestyle they were choosing. It yeah. seemed kind of shitty. Well, so. it's certainly not the lifestyle that I would choose, but there were things that I could find to latch on to. Like, in their own way, they were quite loyal to each other. Uh, one of them gets mixed up with where they're caught with the police, and the kids go to great lengths to try and save him from the cops. Mm. Um, when they find out that the woman they robbed her from the tower, they tell her if they'd known that she lived in the tower, they would never have bothered her. Yes. And when the aliens start you know, landing in cars and causing mayhem, they defend their neighborhood, where everyone else is just sort of hiding in, the, in their rooms this group of kids arm themselves and defend them. So mm-hmm. I did find ways to get in. They were alleys in, but the movie didn't seem overly concerned with making us like these kids. They were just no. sort of presenting them to us. That's true. Um, it's no, an interesting little mix, because it's sort of like uh, the kids from like the, the, what is it, the fourth season of The Wire. Basically, uh, uh, they, they live sort of tough, street-level lives where... The easy answer, it seems, is cr- is crime. Mm-hmm. It's much harder to, you know, work make the system and somehow make an honest living or get your build your way out. It's just, yeah. it's the harder path, mm-hmm. and it's a path that that your peers will punish you for choosing in a lot of ways. Uh, uh, and then sort of seeing those types of characters in the context of this sort of fun alien invasion movie mm-hmm. was different. I hadn't sort <clears> of seen that before. And I gotta say, the creature design 
on those uh, aliens was fantastic. Full marks. The way Full they move marks. and their sort of weird glowing teeth. Yes. And they're like very intimidating right away. As soon as you see them, you just want to be in a different place. They're bad news. Yes. <laughs> Undeniably. Yeah, no, they did a tremendous job, I thought, with... I'm assuming it was just a CGI effect, but... No, those what, were guys in suits. What? And largely, I'm sure some of it was augmented with CGI, but those wow. were guys with like sort of the stilted running suits yeah yeah extend their arms so yes, they yes. kind of run like gorillas yeah almost. so they had that gorilla pose to yeah. them but then of course they were and I liked the uh, that they were like as black as pitch yeah like just I think that's where the computer augmentation wow it to it. Yeah. terrifying though like that's just little elements like that they included in the aliens made them more threatening for yeah. sure and yeah yeah, the glowing teeth were kind of cool, too. Um, I really enjoyed this movie. It's quick, it's uh, efficient, it's like, I think, just under an hour and a half long. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Um, I I think that uh, it might have hurt itself by the level of violence that it included. If it was maybe a bit more of a PG affair, it... Uh, might have found a broader audience, at least on this side of the ocean. But, uh, yeah, no, uh, probably domestically as well for them. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a respected movie. People tend to like uh, Attack the Block. Um, but uh, it's not like yeah. it was a huge monster hit or anything, like, at least not here. No, no. <clears throat> well, not that I'm aware of anyway. But uh, it's, uh, I certainly can't, it's not that I didn't enjoy the movie. I thought it was a pretty fun watch, and I'm, uh, I, I do like the Alien Invasion movie. That's just hilarious for the most part. So um, maybe more predisposed to like this one out of the gate, but uh, there was there was lots to like about it. Um, yeah, I just uh, I maybe didn't uh, I didn't get close to any of the characters, the kids that uh, you might have done if it was a more PG movie. Mm. Um, but uh, that was that was okay. It was still interesting to see how they dealt with it. I don't think I realized how much I was actually digging the kids until they started killing some of them off. Mm-hmm. It's funny, too, because it kind of pulls its punches. We see a few of per- peripheral characters get taken out of the game, but the kids kind of uh, stick around for a while. And then all of a sudden we lose a couple of them, and I was like, yeah. oh, that sucks. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, points there. Uh, yeah, it works, sure. and it makes the stakes higher. Um but it's that weird sort of mixed bag. Is this movie for kids? Well, no, it's a little no. too intense for kids. Yeah. Is it a movie for adults? Well, I think so, but at times it might be a little goofier than a lot of adults are looking for. Well, and as an adult, not this it's, particular it's, adult, but some others, you know. I don't know. Like it's it's hard to take fourteen year olds seriously in that role sometimes. Like I know that uh, there's a lot of really hard, toughened kids out there, and that you know, as as part of a gang, I can see how that would be very threatening. But at the same time, watching it on a, as a as a movie, it's it's maybe difficult to get I don't know just believe it entirely. <clears throat> I don't want to believe that these kids at that age are actually doing it. But that's the real world too. That that is the case. Mm-hmm. I guess. I guess. Uh, there's some some brutal truths in the sort of silly movie. Well, even just the harshness of the language that they use with one another. Oh and, yeah. And. Uh, 
watching them sort of coach these even younger children who right. are nine years old, they claim. They're in the junior, junior gangster school. Exactly. Know? Like, I don't know that the, 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 that training system exists is kind of upsetting to see. <laughs> I don't know. It, it made it difficult to see them as heroes, I guess. For me, oh, I, I got a little bit of a kick out of those kids. What was it? Something in mayhem. Yeah, uh, I can't remember what the other one was trying to name himself. Yeah, but uh, they had they well they had these code names that they wanted to achieve. Yeah, they were definitely you know when they were on screen comic relief, sort of like Nick Frost. Yeah, and there was also another character, sort of the the nervous yuppie kid who's sort of come into the bad neighborhood to score and right, is uh, yeah. uh, over polite to everyone and over nervous mm-hmm. and bumbling um, right. these are sort of like uh, they're, they're fine characterizations but the, their roles are largely just comedic Yes. Uh, whereas the kids are largely, you know, heroic. Mm-hmm. They got a few zingers and one-liners. Uh, there's that yeah. one little loudmouth kid that gets chomped on the leg who's uh, right. Uh, you kind of like him, but you kind of want someone to smack him in the mouth at the same time. Yes, <laughs> yes, Please yes. stop talking. Yeah, no, I mean, there is a likable sort of ragamuffin yeah. kind of <laughs> sense to some of these characters, there's no doubt. But, uh, you yeah, know, there was a barrier there for me, I think, in some ways. I don't know. I uh, still don't know what to think about Attack the Block. <laughs> um, I, I guess it, it, it may be uh, lower on the list than uh, people would expect from me just because I guess the wink-wink aspect of the list may be not attested to as much. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's yeah. familiar templates as far as a group of kids banding together to overcome uh, an obstacle. Mm. I mean, that's certainly something that... Where were the adults, though? Seen. Like, why, why were all of the adults just hiding I think that they established pretty quickly that either the uh, parents were not involved or not there. You know, the kids are, you're saying, I'm going out, it's like 11 o'clock at night, I'm going out, and they're grabbing their sword and they're leaving. And they don't even sort of show the parents, they just hear them say, all right, later. Yeah. They seem like uh, uninvolved. Okay. Uh, that's why the kids sort of develop their own family outside of their little homes. Right. And definitely the leader, we, we find out, is living all on his own uh, I guess I just felt at times like there was no one else involved in this alien invasion. Right. That's, that seems unlikely. You know? Everybody like, was just hiding in their rooms except invasion for these kids. In a, in a London suburb. Yeah. And no one notices but these five kids. And so they're the ones that have to go out and kill them all. And I mean, it's just... It's just I, I, I didn't get... Well, they also sort of established the kids... The first alien that they encountered, they... Uh, they, they killed kills. readily, yes. and uh, it, it was the female of the bunch, right. uh, and so the, a lot of the kids smelled like this they female. They were covered so in the female pheromone. We find out that these creatures are actually pursuing them, Yes. so it's only people peripheral to them who are seeing these, most of them ending up being killed, hence right. the cops and the gangsters. I mean, uh, it's very convenient, especially Nick Frost is a... Is sort of this pothead who's watching a lot of nature documentaries, and uh, a very fortuitous documentary comes on that sort of gives them insight into what yes. their adversary might just be like. Mm-hmm. Um, but the movie is fun enough that you don't kind of you don't mind that stuff. Mm-hmm. In another movie, that would have maybe bothered me, but I was having a lot of fun. There's similarly thing that was really heavily set up where the kid says uh, they're they're at a sort of uh, pedestrian crossover, and uh, he's going to jump from. Uh, one point oh, in the yes, walkway right, to yes. another, uh, 
probably 15 or 20 feet up in the air over concrete. If he, right. if he missed it, it would be, it would be a bad fall, you know, Good and, uh, his friends talk him out yeah. of it. And as soon as that scene happens, you know that there's going to be a scene where he is mm-hmm. in being pursued and he forces himself to make that jump. And of course yeah. that scene comes. Yes. Uh, uh, um, but again, sometimes movie, I got a sense that it was almost made by kids for kids. Yeah. Was, and then all of a sudden there were these really red scenes. And... Well, that's sort of why I kind of put it in the wink, wink category in it, it, because I do think it is funny and deliberately so, and mm-hmm. I do think that it still works as a sort of thriller, scary, sci-fi movie. Mm-hmm. But it is sort of aware of everything that came before in it. I think it's sort of conscious of it. Um, it it's not anywhere near as overt. It's certainly not scream in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I don't know. It, it sort of fit into this bunch of movies that's sort of well-balanced, you know, horror and comedy. Mm-hmm. Well, it's just funny because one of the things that all of these movies had in common was that they all like either college campus or high school kids or whatever it is. It's always a gang of kids, but this group of kids seemed particularly young by comparison to the rest of these movies. Yeah, yeah, but they didn't get treated differently than you would see in the, in a different like. Uh, that's yeah. why I said when I was surprised to see some of the kids get killed. Those just like. I, you know, it didn't feel like that kind of movie until it decided all of a sudden, no, we're that kind of movie. (laughs) So, I don't know, Bravo, I liked it. Everybody ready? Doesn't even show up on the GPS. It's unworthy of global positioning. That's the whole point. Get off the grid, right? Hello? I'm thinking this thing doesn't take credit cards. Sign says closed. We're looking for, uh, what's it called? Tillerman Road. I have to get you there. Getting back. That's your concern. Oh, this is awesome. Whoa. No way. We're going to talk about Cabin in the Woods uh, from, yeah. Yas Whedon and uh, Drew Goddard, um, and I was saying that uh, it's an um, almost impossible movie to describe <laughs> to someone if you don't want to spoil it for them. You know, yeah. you could say a bunch of kids go to a cabin in the woods and uh, mess with something that they shouldn't, and they get killed, or they get attacked by demonic things. It really does sound like an Evil Dead, but uh, this has a lot more layers to it. Than, than Evil Dead. It, it's, you know, not to take anything away from the original Evil Dead, but this is a little bit more high-minded. When you walk away from watching Cabin in the Woods, every other horror movie you could watch, if you wanted to, could also be Cabin in the Woods. Hmm. <laughs> if that makes any sense. Hmm. They're basically justifying all of the weirdness that you'll see in uh, yes. all, all these horror movies. Why people make weird decisions. Why there's always types. Yes. Why they, you know, we see the same patterns play themselves out over and over again. Yes. And we see them play themselves out again here. Yes. But we're allowed behind the curtain as to why things play out this way. Exactly. Um, so it's an interesting. It's an interesting number. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did you think of Cabin in the Woods, G? Um, wow. Uh, well, as you say, it's incredibly difficult to summarize. Um, I think uh, there was a lot of things that I 
just loved about this movie. I liked that it was two sides of the story in the way that a wink wink movie should be, or at least the way I imagined a wink wink movie should be. Um, it was it was nice to be let in right out of the gate too. I mean, it's nice to be able to start a movie and just know that you get to play both sides and this one did a perfect job of doing that and um for a for a somebody who doesn't watch a lot of horror movies it's uh, in the same way that scream does it sort of helps explain the genre to you as it plays out so it's 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 almost like horror movies for dummies but to write the dummies book requires knowledge. a shit ton of knowledge and that's what <clears throat> cabin in the woods kind of <clears throat> Uh, manages to succeed at for me is uh, it's just able to uh, find that that perfect balance. Um, the cast uh, is led by uh, Kristen Connolly. Mm. Um, she was in the uh, Netflix series uh, House of Cards, and oh. she's in a horror movie directed by Barry Levinson called The Bay. Um, I think she's really good in this movie. Um, she had to wait a couple of years to see her performance come to fruition. Because mm -hmm. this movie kind of got caught up in the uh, post-production nightmares. And that the distributing partners went out of business for a while. And really? then they got sold to another group. And then it was going to be retrofitted to 3D. Sure. And in the interim, um, happily, one of their uh, actors, Chris Hemworth, Hemsworth uh, sort of came up in Hollywood. Oh yeah, I've heard of him. And just playing Thor, and it was in this obscure Avengers movie. Yes. <laughs> um, and then you've got some uh, Yas Whedon sort of regulars. Mm -hmm. um, Fran Krantz was in uh, Dollhouse, uh, a TV show that I he did. I think she did a turn on... That's a he. That's so, the pothead so, character. From right, yes, yes. Um, um, and then... Um, Amy Acker uh, is someone that we've seen uh, in some of Yas Whedon's TV shows, isn't it, as well? Um, the, and the, Jesse Williams uh, sort of round out the sort of cast of the main characters that are going to the cabin. Yes. But we also get to see the background characters, and the most of what we see in the behind-the-curtain stuff concerns Bradley Whitford, Whitford and yeah. Richard Jenkins. Right. Um, we sort of start the movie with them driving around in this little golf cart in some <laughs> facility somewhere, sort of bantering, yeah. bitching about their lives. It's kind of nice to sort of, we're, we're behind the curtain before we even know we're behind, we're behind the curtain. The curtain yeah. um, uh, we sort of keep cutting back to these guys and we see as the film progresses, you know, just how involved they are. Right. Um, and how the manipulation starts from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. The second those kids pull away from those dorms, there's a guy on the roof with a radio saying mm -hmm. they're on their way. So we know that there's strings being pulled and there's puppet masters. And slowly throughout the story, we find out, you know, what this is all about and why this is happening. Right, right. Uh, yeah, it's not an easy thing for them to achieve uh, annually, I can imagine. But uh, it's... It's an interesting... I don't know how much to give away. Well, we, have, we, we throw spoilers, I say. And again, with a movie like this, I encourage. I would encourage somebody who's listening right now who hadn't seen the movie to watch the watch movie. Watch this movie. Uh, before you hear the spoilers. Uh, if you have seen the movie, by all means. But I do think that it will detract somewhat. 
I think that I you'll think still so. you'll still enjoy it. I think you'll still have a good time watching it. But if you can if you can do it pure, you that'd be great. So yeah, indeed. Uh, indeed. As, you can listen to a podcast whenever you want. So uh, that's true. It's just uh, very regrettably for me, I managed to catch about fifteen minutes of Cabin in the Woods uh, before I watched it. And I didn't even realize that that's what I'd seen. Right. And it was about the last 15 minutes. Yeah. It's <laughs> pretty large spoilers. Yeah. I really wish I could unwatch it. Um, <laughs> oh, especially well. having gone back and like, I didn't even realize that that's what I was watching at the time. But as soon as it started to come together for me, it came together for me far too early. And it was, <laughs> uh, unfortunate in that way. But, uh, totally kick-ass nonetheless. Um, <laughs> Lots of fun. There's some interesting reversals, I think, in the, the script here, too. Whereas usually the pothead character, or whatever, the fool, as he is re- referred to in this story, yes. is sort of a victim, right? The, mm-hmm. Like we learned in, in Scream, you know, uh, drugs and alcohol is sin factor. You That's don't right. do that. It's bad. <laughs> Well, and in a yeah. lot of ways, the Frank Kranz character kind of becomes one of the more heroic characters of the, the story. Yes. <laughs> um, which is kind of interesting. Um, and the character that Chris Hemsworth plays, the sort of... The hero. The hero jock character, who's typically sort of dumb and bossy. He's he's sort of the leader because he, he announces himself the leader. Uh, but no, this guy's actually decent. They actually have to rig the game to make him, you know, behave mm-hmm. stupidly. Exactly. Uh, I think that one of the least credible things in the whole script actually is the the gas that they would spray them with, which would suddenly make them change their mind. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. Their but, pheromone gases and their yeah. things. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Adjusting the heat, the temperature in the room, or, or you know, mm-hmm. um, locking the doors, having that sort of outside control. I understand. Sure, sure. But like a spray that shoots out of a vent that makes you completely defy logic. Uh, well, yes. And then, yeah. <laughs> well, it, subvert it, it your own way of thinking. Absolutely. Like, I mean, like instantly. <laughs> Um, but it was basically, I think, thrown in in the idea to support this this concept that. Uh, a template has to be made, and part of that template is gratuitous nudity. Mm-hmm. Part of that template is, you know, there are types. There's sort of the virginal, sort of heroic girl, Absolutely. and then there's the sort of slutty, not virginal heroic girl. Yeah, uh, there's we like the, her. Like I said, the the sort of strong uh, leader jock character. Right. Uh, you know, uh, they're they're all types. There's the scholar. The scholar. There you go. Yeah. So they're they're all types and. People don't tend to fit into types, and the movie acknowledges that. Yes. They're sort of being forced. They're, they're square pegs being sort Absolutely. of squished into these round holes, right. which is another interesting angle of the screenplay, mm-hmm. which already has so many interesting angles at work. You no know, kidding. you just gotta keep you keep smiling throughout. No doubt. I also, of course, am pleased that of the. Uh, Myriad of options they had to choose from in that basement of uh, foul toys that they chose a toy that brought out redneck zombies. <laughs> <laughs> zombies are Aww. very popular these days, but uh, you know it was a good win for me. Yeah, um. <laughs> that was. Uh, th- th- I think that was actually one of my favorite parts of the story was that they got to choose their fate. 
Um, they had well, to choose their fate. They had to. That was, there was they were just, manipulated into making the choice. But right? it was acknowledged as one of the like crucial moments yeah. in this ritual, this ridiculously elaborate ritual, but this <laughs> ritual that needs to take place uh, yeah. every year. And it's just that to me was really interesting. It just seemed fascinating to me. And then, of course, to see their sort of I don't know if you've seen Cube, right? So yeah. their Cube of like warehouse of villains yeah. that they have just sort of ready. Yeah, uh, love it. That's so. Um, cool. And uh, I guess what that, an interesting idea. Uh, and maybe that can sort of justify the gas that makes it change their mind because they have this arsenal of creatures that they they got from the old ones, mm-hmm. and that's the sort of H.P. Lovecraft angle of yeah. the the story. Uh, we have to have blood sacrifices or else these ancient gods are going to reclaim the earth. Mm-hmm. Um, so in a way, I guess, the Bradley Whitford characters uh, and the Richard Jenkins, yeah. all the people behind the scenes, are quote-unquote doing heroic work. But that heroic work involves these innocent teenagers being blood sacrifices for yes. us to survive. That's right. Uh, in order for the world to keep on spinning, this has to happen. Mm. And... Again, uh, the meta angles to this are, are rich, you know. Oh my goodness, yeah. When you when we watch a Friday the Thirteenth movie or a horror movie, I mean, we go there to see people die. Uh, to an extent, we are uh, at least for the first two or three reels of the film, in a way, cheering for the villain. Yes. <laughs> we want these kids to die. Yeah. Um, and in this movie, uh, we need them to die. And if you're in the perspective of the people who work behind the scenes. You do want the kids to die. Yeah. So the behind-the-scenes people are, for the most part, keep a detached eye. Of course. On them. Whereas we, as the audience members who have got full access to them, don't. No. <laughs> well, yes, and uh, they acknowledge that with, of course, all of the bedding and uh, so yeah. forth with among the staff. Who's going to go first? What what are they going to pick for their their death? I totally understand needing to do things like do exaggerate, make exaggerated gestures to sort of compensate for guilt you might be feeling over your actions. You know what I mean? Like that's, I think, something people can be, you know, connect with on some level. So you mentioned the sequence in the elevators when uh, yeah. The, the our group gets whittled down to two, and uh, they find an elevator and hotwire yes. it to go down. Yeah, they have no idea what they're going to encounter, and they can't imagine what it is they do encounter, which is basically glass room after glass room of different monstrosities, and the amount of imagination for each one of them are good. And there's a few you know nods and tips of the hats to other horror movies if right. you if you if you know your genres. Um, and for these two characters to see that, to realize, you know, the scale of what they are potentially up against is, is you know, it's a great sequence. It really is. And then to see those the creatures then unleashed and turned upon, you know, the puppet masters. Um, yay, good for them, they're escaping. Totally satisfying. But yeah. at the same time, they're undoing the world, right? Um and that's where, I guess, as we're moving towards the end of the movie, one of the questions that I will ask, you know, um, well, they find out what this is all about, that this is a, it's not a crazy cult who think they have to do this. This is the real deal. And uh, they, every continent on the world does this. And mm-hmm. as long as there's some blood sacrifice for the old ones, it'll work. But by some cruel twist of fate, every other place has failed, and it's down to them 
to get this done. Yep. Again, we want these kids to die, or do we? We need them to. We need yes. them to die. Um, and uh, basically, you know, our, our protagonist says, you know, if this is what it takes for the world to keep on spinning, then it's not worth it. Mm-hmm. And my argument is that maybe she's wrong about that. Maybe the altruistic ending would be to sacrifice herself and let the world continue to spin, mm. uh, as opposed to defy, be defiant to the end and cause the end of the world. Right. Um, and, I mean, either way, she's dead, right? Mm-hmm. So she could die for something, or she could, you know... Right. Right. Uh, I mean, I didn't completely get it, but, I mean, it was a very bold ending to the movie, and, you know, they're not going to fuck this up with a with a shitty sequel, because <laughs> how <Done>. could they? <laughs> Done. But, well, and, I mean, maybe that's the way it had to finish. Yeah. Maybe that's just the way it had to finish. You you felt too much for these characters to let them go, even in favor of the rest of the world, because we didn't get to know the rest of the world. Yeah, uh, I mean, everybody we got to know in the world of the movie was gone already. That's it. I mean, there were no other survivors. Like in the facility, the staff is gone. Yeah, there like there's nothing left. So if it's only them, you know. <laughs> presumably this is an underground secure facility and with all the, the creatures that have been turned against them you know there were them. no survivors um, Sigourney Weaver shows up uh, as sort right. of the head of the whatever of agency whatever is in charge of sacrificing to ancient seven. gods yeah. um, and uh, she plays a much very similar role in a way in a much sillier movie, Paul, mm-hmm. as sort of uh, the head of sort of a super secret organization who's pulling strings. Oh, yes. Yes. Kind of an interesting uh, dual. <laughs> she could almost have the same name if not for the fact that I believe that she gets killed in both of those <laughs> she, movies. She does indeed. <laughs> she does indeed. But uh, she wears similar pantsuits in both. <laughs> and uh, actually, I'm pretty sure they just choppered her from one set to the next. Yeah. And then just it's because it's the same helicopter that she arrives in in both movies. Yeah. I'm sure of it. <laughs> um, and uh, I guess we feel differently about seeing these people getting killed uh, the, in the government facility. Yeah. I mean, we kind of got to know and like Bradley Whitford and, and Richard Jenkins, but uh, you still, you know, they they still seem kind of cold about the job that they're doing. Now, this detachment may seem necessary for them to just, you know, be able to get through their day, but mm. um, they watch they, they watch and make and create real-life horror movies. I guess it would be worse if they enjoyed it and they got off on it, but uh, yeah. it, um, it wasn't that you wanted to see them dead, but you felt differently about them dying than you did about the kids. Yeah, no, I mean, there was... I, I, you certainly didn't... Well, I didn't, anyway, have the same degree of sympathy for them, maybe. Because they, they seemed like villains for a lot of the film. That's true. But uh, I don't know. It's uh, it was That was going to be difficult to reconcile one way or the other, I think. There's surprises around uh, pretty much every corner of this film. The mm. screenplay is razor sharp. Wow. Like I said, once you've seen Cabin in the Woods, if you want, every other horror movie you watch, especially if you look at some of the ones from the 80s and 90s, our cabin in the woods. Anytime something stupid happens or a performance seems weird or inconsistent, 
You just have to imagine there's people behind the scenes pulling the strings. Pulling those strings for making And it that's happen. why that chick took her top off for no reason. Right. And that's why they decided to split up, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, you know. Why they went up the stairs instead, instead of out, out the, the door. Front door. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it's, it's good stuff. Um, if for genre fans, it is a, a feast. And oh, though it may have laid uh, on a shelf for three years or however long it was, uh, worth the wait. That's uh, six wink wink horror comedies uh, reviewed. Uh, Gee, it is now your task to rank these six uh, movies from your least favorite to your most. I found this a pretty hard list to rank, and uh, in some ways I'm glad that you have to go first. Sucka! What was your least favorite and why? If that's the right way to put it with this crop of movies. Yeah, no, I mean, as you said, this is a this is a great crop of movies. I enjoyed them all. As I said, I watched them more than once. So, and some of them, like obviously Beetlejuice, I've seen many times. Yeah. uh, um, Anyway, uh, to begin the ranking, um, I. I, yeah, I, I tried to do this in reference to Wink Wink as much as possible. Um, for me, I put Attack the Block as number six. Okay. Um, yeah, I just had a hard time with the age of those kids for some reason. Uh-huh. As uh, just the those young ruffians really rubbed you the wrong way. Well, they just seemed too young to pull off gang member in a threatening way, I understand how they could be perceived as threatening, and I understand how they are threatening in actuality, but for some reason on screen, it just didn't sell for me, and I just didn't didn't believe it the way I wanted to. Um, That being said, I thought it had probably the coolest uh, effects with their monsters. Creature design is awesome. The creatures were fantastic. It was totally a fun watch. I wasn't like it didn't upset me or anything. This right. was the just the the flaw I needed to find in it in order to put it at the bottom of this list. Fair enough. Not easy thing. You're to endorsing do. all of the movies. You're just being forced <laughs> to rank them by your cruel sadistic. That's grandmother. right. That's right. So yeah, I had to find a problem that was the easiest one for me <laughs> to find. I guess. Fair enough. Uh, it's I'm not happy about it, but that's the way it ended up. Um, Number five was Beetlejuice. Again, a movie that I'm passionate about is fifth on this list. (laughs) And I think it's partially... It's just because, with reference to Wink Wink, um, maybe it was a bit outside the boundary. Um, A little bit. But less so than I I felt, than Attack the Block in some ways. Um, uh, It's... It's hard for me to believe that that's where it is on this list. <laughs> but that's where it is. There it is. Beetlejuice, number five. Um, so, next, actually, I have Tucker and Dale versus Evil at number four. Um, 
I really, really enjoyed this movie, but uh, as we pointed out earlier, it really is a one-joke movie, and it's a funny joke. It's a great joke, yeah. and I think it's as well executed as it could be over the course of the 90 minutes or whatever it is. It was really, really... I really enjoyed it a lot. It was probably more my favorite than what I've put at number three, which is Night of the Creeps. Okay. Um, I think I probably am more likely to watch Tucker and Dale again. Okay. And again, it's like uh, repeat viewings, As whereas Night of the Creeps is... It's a good show, and it's number three on my list here. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, anyway, Night of the Creeps, number three. Yeah, I just... Uh, it was fun from beginning to end, and it was made with love by somebody who loved horror movies. And you can tell, you can just you feel can just that. feel it, yeah, yeah, through the screen. And uh, that was that made it number three on the list. Number two on the list is Scream. Scream, excellent. Uh, it's a great show. I thought it was. Good in well, uh, what I saw of it in the 90s, I enjoyed, <laughs> and what I saw more recently, I enjoyed even more. Now, without finger vision, it still stands up. Well, yes, it's uh, actually better, but um, <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was good then, it's still good now in a lot of ways. It's uh, it pulls off the genre well, and obviously, it winks very well at you as well. But nothing winks more than number one, Cabin in the Woods. Yeah. There's just no doubt about it. It covers all the angles. Um, our lists are not dissimilar, but they are not so similar as to uh, be, no, be any uh, awards given out today. I'm not surprised. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Um, but uh, I don't think any fights are going to be breaking out over these movies. And uh, if there's any flaws in this movies or the list, it's just some of the selections, maybe, like you said, in the wink-wink category. But, yeah, uh, um, yeah uh, I, I wrestled with it, and this is where I ended up. Uh, number six, Tucker and Dale oh. versus Evil. Wow. Um, it rides a lot on charm. Uh, the premise is solid, but it might have been more solid as a short film, stretching it to a feature length. I don't know. It worked enough, and it, that had everything to do with the cast. Mm. And like you said, I mean, it, it it'll work. It has it'll have some rewatchability. Uh, it's just in this crop of movies for me. I had to put one on the bottom, and there was yeah. Tucker vs. Dale. And go. I hate to put the Canadian made one there too. That's kind of kind of hurts my feelings. But yeah. there it was. But I didn't feel right at putting Beetlejuice on the bottom. So Beetlejuice is number five. That's exactly <laughs> why Beetlejuice is number five. Exactly why Beetlejuice uh, is number five. Because warts and all, I just have a great affection for this movie. Uh, it's not a horror movie, though. If you haven't heard of Beetlejuice, or for some reason this is your first experience in Beetlejuice, do not expect to be scared when you watch Beetlejuice, but do expect to be entertained and charmed. And I love the stop-motion effects. And I love, you know, Catherine O'Hara. And, you know, just the yeah. cast is uniformly strong. Yeah. Uh, the story is crazy and imaginative. I, I always love Beetlejuice yeah. and... Uh, you know, it, maybe it belonged on a different list. I don't know, but it's ranking at number five today. I just, I just like to say that when I was in school, I had a Beetlejuice lunchbox. That makes I, you uh, cooler than me. Uh, it's it, it was very hard for me to... to I, I had to not put it at six. <laughs> there was no <laughs> way. That brings me to number four, which is where I ended up putting Attack the Block, which I enjoy quite a bit. 
Um, I think it has acres of charm. I didn't necessarily find the kids irredeemable. I think that they started in kind of a bad place and sort of slowly got, uh, warmed up to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I thought that was kind of an interesting place to take, whereas mm-hmm. most movies would make go out of your way to make you like your protagonists. This may, movie sort of makes your protagonists earn it for some reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but I love, like I say, the the alien design is great, and I did laugh out loud several times. And this movie goes down easy, like it's quick oh, and fun yeah. and entertaining, and it uh, it's just a good time. So, True that. Uh, big love to attack the block. Uh, number three, Night of the Creeps. Naturally, <laughs> um, again, every this is just a, a like a, a stir fry of a horror movie. So mm-hmm. just take his favorite elements of uh, science fiction and. You know, 1950s sort of serial killer on the loose and zombie cinema and uh, body campus comedy and just put it in a blender and somehow managed to, you know, come out with this really quick 90-minute fun gory uh movie and yeah. you know with lines like uh, the good news is your dates are here the bad news is they're dead uh go to Zing. um if if <laughs> you know if you haven't uh, discovered night of the creeps and you're into the horror genre oh. it's worth seeking out absolutely and we're agreed too that number two is scream you know, it's yeah. it's very well made. It it might it be the high water mark for Wes Craven in a lot of ways, hmm. as far as uh, success and popularity. Definitely, I mean, uh, there's this and there's the uh, you know the first Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, sure. Yeah. Uh, and you know he's made some good movies in the in between, but these are definitely I think the high, high yeah. water marks. Fair enough. Um, and uh, he would continue with the Scream franchise. Williamson would uh, not write all of them, but uh, Craven continued to direct, you know, three sequels to this. Wow. Um, and if, you know, it warranted three sequels, or maybe that's an arguable point, uh, and that it's still sort of uh, pop culture relevant, you know, hmm. uh, it's it's worthy. <laughs> it's worthy. Yeah. Um, uh, it's it's weird to put such a new movie at number one, but I totally agree that Cabin in the Woods goes number one, both in the category and just in concept and execution. Wow. Um, yeah. Uh, there, I remember I looked at some of the special features of this, and they talk about a scene where uh, the camera was to pan on a bank of monitors, and on every screen something horrible was happening. All of the creatures are coming through the facilities, okay. right? Yeah, so they're right, looking yeah. at the security footage. Yeah. And on paper, that seemed like, you know, just nothing. Right. But when it comes to filming that shot, you know, you've got basically every horror movie you've ever seen happening simultaneously in one shot of the movie. And right. that movie itself is every horror movie ever made simultaneously right. because of the rules of cabin in the woods right. uh it, you know it, this movie could give the writers of inception and nosebleed uh, <laughs> I, I think that the uh, uh cabin in the woods it, it's it sets a uh, high it sets a high water mark and, it's uh, impressive it, it really is i i usually like to let a movie age for a few years before i you know you know overlaud it because you know mm-hmm. sometimes you know the warts don't sort of immediately present themselves but uh for now, I heartily endorse Cabin in the Woods, as I you do all it. of these movies. Yeah. And uh, we were close, man. Indeed. We were very Indeed. close. That's, that's curious.
And that's episode 17 of Rank and Review, wink, wink. And I certainly hope you enjoyed it. Uh, if you'd like to write me and let me know how I'm doing with these podcasts, please do so at rankandreview at gmail.com. That's uh, R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail. I uh, would love to hear from you. My name is Larry Parsons. I am your host and random Canadian. And thank you for listening to my podcast.